Thanks for, thanks for coming back to session two of our class, Look Up, Treasuring Christ in Digital Age. Um, thanks, thanks for coming. Vinny, Vinny was sharing about how last week felt like a beating, you know, on technology. And so this week I thought we would start off with everyone just go ahead and take out your phone and we're just going to check screen time real fast. No, I'm just fine. We're not going to do that. Not going to do that. Because I would be discouraged probably, probably more so than many of you. So really, thanks for, thanks for coming back. Um, the heart of this class is um, really to think about how to give our attention to the Lord in a culture whose attention is held captive by screens. Uh, so, you know, many Christians and even non-Christian cultural thinkers, commentators, realize that we're we have a problem, right? We have a problem with distraction, with screens. And I think sometimes people talk about the problem being primarily about our health or not being able to get work done, things like that. And I think we all see those consequences. But the reason why we're doing this class at Cornerstone Church, um, Sunday morning, early in the morning, is because we think that this is a problem that has spiritual and theological consequences. Uh, the idea that we are distracted by screens keeps us from giving our attention uh, to the Lord and ultimately being satisfied in our souls. And so I was thinking about it. I was like, I have a bad habit sometimes. I'm just going to have a little confession time. Sometimes uh, if it's late at night and I'm doing something out at night, I like to drive through McDonald's. Does anyone like McDonald's? Anybody else? Yeah. No, everyone's shaking their head like you're a terrible person. But I'll drive, I'll drive through and get a few things from the dollar menu. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm going and I think, oh, it's late at night. I've had a long day. You know, th this, this is fine. And then I always feel terrible after it. You know, I always have this feeling of like, why did I do that? You know, there's no... There's, uh, I didn't need to have that food. I didn't, wasn't even necessarily hungry. I just craved it. I wanted it. And I kind of feel like with our screens, a similar dynamics at play where is it, is it sinful to have Instagram? No. Is it, is it sinful to watch shows on Netflix? No. But it's, it's the pull, right? It's the fact that like in my day-to-day -day life, I'm pulled to these things. I can't, I can't go... Without it, I was, I was talking with somebody who talked about just like going on a walk with their dog and being tempted to just look and see what's on the phone because there may be something new. And the, the reason why I think this is a problem, why we want to talk about it, is because to think about God takes attention. It takes our affections, and we want to fight to do that. So I'm calling this session, Seeing and Seeking God in a Distracted Age. And by the way, did everyone get an outline? There's some outlines in the back by the coffee. Feel free if you, wanna, if you need to get up in the session, by the way, and get coffee, get an outline, whatever you need to do. It's fine. I'm calling this Seeing and Seeking God in a Distracted Age. You know, I was joking with Jake Simmons about last week, he gave all the bad news to like just make us feel bad about the world and... Um, and our lives, and, and now I get the good news. I get to tell you about uh, not so much what do we miss by looking down, 
But what do we gain by looking up? Like, there's so much, there's something so much better uh, for us than our screens. So the goal of this class, this session, is to think critically about our attention, uh, what we give our attention to, what we look at, and what it means to look up in a world that's looking down. I have a central thesis, kind of a main idea we're going for. Um, the central thesis is that since our ultimate happiness comes from beholding God and his glory, like that's where we're going in heaven, we're going to see the Lord, then our lives here and now should be focused on beholding the glory. That's That's okay. So our present discipleship will be marked by seeking the face of God. Where the Christian life ends, so like where we're heading, giving our attention to the Lord forever, has everything to do with how we live our lives and the decisions we make here and now. I have an outline for the class, three, three kind of headings, points, and they're all kind of loosely connected. So I'm hoping that there's a, there's a logical connection between this. Uh, but as we go, we'll, hopefully we'll have enough time for some questions, some thoughts as we go. I have the whiteboard here. I might, might use it uh, as we go. So the, the outline is three, kind of three headings. We have a doctrine, a decision, and a difficulty. Uh, a doctrine, a decision, a difficulty. These, these are all three points aimed at helping us look up in a world that's looking down. So a doctrine to consider. This is the first, first point we're going to talk about. Um, has anyone ever heard the term the beatific vision? Anyone heard that term before? It's a, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's a big theological term. I'll just write it on the board. I think it's on your, I think it's on your handout. But the beatific vision, anyone want to take a stab at what that, what that means for, for 100 extra credit points. Like we, got, we got the vision, what you're looking at. Anyone want to take a stab at what beatific means? No shame here. Yeah? Beatitudes, good, it does. It's the same, same root, beatitudes, okay? Beauty, yeah, that's, that's part of it, good. It's the vision of God. And the beatitudes, if you remember in, in Matthew's gospel, says, blessed are you when others persecute you, for you shall be blessed. That word um, literally means something like happy, like the happy. You may feel like you're being destroyed, but happy is the man who's walking with the Lord because they will be blessed. So this term, the beatific vision, what it's talking about is a sight of the Lord that makes us happy, makes us satisfied. And theologians throughout history have talked about this as the ultimate end of the Christian life, the aim, the goal, where we're headed. Um, so that's, that's what this term means. It makes us happy. I don't know if you ever heard somebody say, um, it doesn't matter the destination, what matters is the journey. Have you guys heard people say something like that? I don't know about you, but I just do not understand that at all when people say things like that. I guess I get it, kind of like trust the process, that kind of thing. But, I mean, if you think about it, any good story, if you don't think about the destination, the story doesn't make any sense at all. If you're reading Lord of the Rings, with, without Mordor taking the ring of power into Mordor to destroy it, the story doesn't make any sense. Or you take a sports team 
without the championship game to focus on, to go to, really the season doesn't make any sense either. So what is this, what is this thought of like, it doesn't matter the destination, but just the process? And in the Christian life, that is not true. In the Christian life, this, the beatific vision, what we're headed toward, beholding the glory of God in heaven for all eternity, that means everything for how we live in the here and now. And we're going to talk a little bit later on about what exactly that day is going to look like. But I wanted to start here because essentially what my argument is going to be is that, so we have our future hope. Sorry, you probably can't read this at all. Future hope influences our Christian life. So that's what we said, the just an eye there, okay. Uh, future hope influences our Christian life, which influences our use of technology. So where we're headed shapes how we live, which shapes how we use technology. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Just kind of the argument, almost taking, looking at the future and working our way back. Since we'll give our attention to the Lord for all eternity, it matters how we use our attention here and now. This is the end of the Christian life. And I, I want to take a second and just address maybe not, not so much like a, a false teaching, but a, a teaching that's sort of um, maybe nuanced our hope in a different way. There's, there's many today that like to focus on um, kind of the earthy aspects of our, of our future hopes, the idea that we'll have jobs in heaven that will... Um, eat food in heaven, that we'll do all these very things we're doing now on earth, we'll do there. And I think that that's true. I'm not at all saying, oh, that's, that's false, or we shouldn't have hope for that. Like, you know, I have hope that we're being reunited with loved ones in the life to come. But our hope, we, we want to be very clear, our hope is fully and finally setting our vision on the God of all glory and beauty. And that's better. That's actually better than anything else that this world has to offer. This is John Piper. I have this in your notes, I think. He says, The highest, best, final, decisive good of the gospel, without which no other gifts would be good, is the glory of God in the face of Christ, revealed for our everlasting enjoyment. Another quote. This is Thomas Watson. I love, I love this quote. The sight of God, the, the vision of God, seeing his face, will be the heaven of heaven. What does he mean by that? The heaven of heaven. What he means is, without God, heaven isn't heaven, right? It's God that makes heaven heaven, makes it so blessed, makes it so wonderful. There's something in our hearts. There's like a magnetic pull that until we find find that uh, meeting with God and seeing him will be left unsatisfied. You might even put it like this. We've, we, why have we been saved? Why, why has Christ come and delivered us from our sins? Well, in one sense, we could say we've been saved so that we can see, so we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and be satisfied. So I want to think about a few passages of Scripture that are on your handout that uh, talk about this idea of seeing God. It's, it's really, it's a metaphor uh, in Scripture for our, 
relationship with God, for beholding him, encountering him. And the reason why I want to focus on sight, seeing God, is because so much of our lives and this problem with technology is what we give our attention to, what we, what we look at. We have decisions every day. Am I going to give my attention to this or give my attention to that? And, and my argument, I think what Scripture would say is that the blessed vision, the beatific vision can be experienced more or less here and now based off of what we give our attention to. Does that make sense? So it's almost as if we're going to this place of eternal satisfaction in heaven, our attention on the Lord, but it's as if, and Scripture speaks in this way, of a foretaste of the glories to come. It's almost as if every time we decide to give our attention to the Lord now, it's almost like we're drawing some of that satisfaction in for us right here and now. So listen to some of these texts. This is Matthew 5.8 coming from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's the reward. That's the reward for when you're, when you're battling with sin in your own heart. Okay, Lord, how do, how, do I, how do I fight this temptation? Well, blessed are the pure in heart for what? They shall see God, beholding him. 1 John 3, 2-3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's a wonderful passage of scripture. It says, we shall see him as he is. And did you notice in the text it says, and we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What does that mean? It means almost like we're going to behold the glory of Christ and it's going to be so overpowering that that sight is actually going to transform us in that moment. It's amazing. It's called glorification. When we're raised up and we see the Lord, it's almost as if his purity will transform us in that moment. That's, that's the sight that we're looking forward to. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So we see Christ um, in the future. We'll see him face to face. Here we see him by faith. We see him through the gospel. In Psalm 27, 4, the last passage we'll look at, and then we'll uh, think about how this relates. And I do promise, just hold on with me. This does relate to technology and our attention. So, if you're wondering, like, why are we talking about heaven and eschatology and all these terms in a class on technology? Well, it does relate. Because remember, where we're going impacts how we live here and now. Getting our, setting our minds and our hearts on where we're going impacts how we live now. Psalm 27.4 says this. It's a great prayer to pray. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That phrase is wonderful, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I was, as I was thinking about this verse, I was just thinking about uh, the, the practice of scrolling, you know, like we, 
I don't know how many people here are on social media or whatever, and, and I do the same thing on ESPN. I may not be on social media, but I, f- I feel the weight of this, the weight of the like temptation to just give my mind over to mindless scrolling. And I just thought gazing and scrolling are two totally opposite actions, right? To gaze on something is to just sit and be in its presence and to look at it and focus on it and enjoy it and soak it in. But scrolling's the exact opposite. It's just, oh, does that interest me? Nope, just keep, keep going, 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 going. And uh, Nicholas Carr, who's a, he's a thinker on technology and culture, talks about how that sort of practice, those habits of scrolling up and down, up, 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 up. It's not just that we're distracted in the moment, but actually the more we give ourselves to those habits, the less able we are to do something like gaze, like sit at just a piece of art or sit at, a, you know, at the Grand Canyon and focus on something bigger than ourselves. Um, and I, I feel it in my, own, in my own family. The other day we were going to uh, get ice cream and it was the strangest experience. My, my oldest son's three years old. He's three years old. And we don't, we don't do a lot of technology in our home, but we were going to get ice cream, and at the ice cream shop, there's a mural painted, like, right on the wall of the shop. And he goes and walks over and stands underneath it and turns toward us. I was like, what is, he, what is he doing, you know? And there's a playground over here that normally he's like all about going and running and jumping and playing and doing this. And he's just standing underneath this mural. I said, son, like, what, what are you doing? He said, take my picture. Take my picture, right? I was like, How, wh- why is that in his mind that the most important thing in this moment is to like capture a picture underneath a mural when there's a playground, there's ice cream, there's family, there's all these real things, wonderful things to enjoy. And I think it's this, just this, this cultural mindset that we're, that we're in. And I don't know, it's probably bad parenting. I need to go back and, and, and really think about this. Like, do we, do we take so many pictures of our kids that they think one of the main experiences in the world is doing something and it being captured through a phone, right? I, I worry about that. I think about that myself and my own parenting. I want to be on guard against that. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord instead of scrolling. And we want to do all this because, again, where we're going, this future hope, this beatific vision, we are going to gaze on the beauty of the Lord for all eternity. We're going to wonder in his glory. And if that's the case, then our lives should be formed more and more progressively, not perfectly, again, not perfectly, but progressively toward this state of, wow, I can sit and behold the glory of the Lord. And I want that, crave that, right? It's not about, it's, it's not about uh, sitting in a monastery, you know, and just, and just focusing day after day after day. I'm not saying, oh, we should quit our jobs or do this or do that. But what I am saying is, there's more satisfaction to be had in little moments throughout the day, setting aside to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So that's a doctrine, beatific vision, seeing God, we will see God. And next, we have a decision to make. So that's point two, heading number two. So 
doctrine to believe, a decision to make. And this is where we're living here and now, kind of moving on to this point, the Christian life. And I just said the decision to make is to seek God's face. Who we will see in the next life, let us commit to seeking him here in this life. What we're going to give our attention to, let us give it to him now. I want to introduce to you one of my historical friends, John Owen. Has anyone read any John Owen before? This is, uh, this is The Glory of Christ by John Owen. He is somebody who I think did this very well. Um, he actually, it's, it's amazing, he wrote this book as he was dying, and his, uh, he saw the proofs for the, for the book uh, on his final day, like it was going to be published on the day that he, on the day that he died. And uh, he, he just said something like, well, thank the Lord, you know, now I get to go and experience what I've been talking about all this time. And this is a wonderful book um, just about this theme of gazing on the Lord. And he wrote another book called Spiritual Mindedness, and we're going to talk just briefly about both of these. But the premise of the glory of Christ is that our future hope consists of beholding God in Christ, and our present life can uh, persist in that as well. That's, that's, what he's, that's what he's saying. The same way a, a college student, you know, is, is spending their time preparing for the job to come, what should a Christian be preparing for? What, what's, what's our end? It's beholding God in Christ. So how do we do that more and more here and now? I have a couple quotes this is, this is wonderful, and again, this is not a, this is not a feel bad that you don't do this. It's a let's all together as fellow travelers, fellow pilgrims struggling with our attention, let's help one another do this. Say, oh, look where we're going. Let's keep, let's keep going that way. This is Owen. Only a sight of his glory and nothing else will truly satisfy God's people. The hearts of believers are like a magnetized needle, which cannot rest until it is pointing north. So also a believer magnetized by the love of Christ will always be restless until he or she comes to Christ and beholds his glory. Another quote, make up your mind. So this is talking about, you know, our attention, decisions we make. Make up your mind that to behold the glory of God by beholding the glory of Christ is the greatest privilege which is given to believers in this life. This is the dawning of heaven. It is the first taste of that heavenly glory which God has prepared for us. For this is eternal life, to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The dawning of heaven. Think of the dawn. Think of the sun coming up. And noon being the full day. If, if noon is when we're in heaven with the Lord, what Owen's saying is we can experience the dawn of that now. Isn't that amazing? Like when we go in and sing the Lord's praises and set our minds on him, set our hearts on him. I think what Owen's saying is that actually that is a first taste of the joy and glory that is to come. It's amazing. So when it comes to our attention, um, I think the, the burden of this class and the desire we have is to be people who don't just go with the flow. You know, I was thinking about this, about how, um, you know, if you're watching 
Netflix, you know, you get to the end of the show, recommendation for another show. And you just, people are very passive, right? And, and just going with the flow of whatever media companies put in front of us. Believers have a different purpose and a different goal, different, a different joy that we're after. The theme verse for this class is, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. And so the big question, and the one we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about, is how do we do this? So, okay, Drew, that's nice. We have, we have a vision of, of the glory of heaven and the glory of Christ. That's wonderful theology. But how do we set our minds on him when everything else around us, like gravity, is just pulling us down to the things of earth or pulling us down to the distractions of this world? Again, John Owen, he helps us. He wrote another book called the Grace and Duty of Being Spiritually Minded. I'm going to be honest, when I saw that title, I was like, that is not attractive to me. The duty of being spiritual minded. It seems a little like high, high flying. But what I love about it is it's the grace and duty of being spiritual minded. That God empowers us to do this. Uh, it's been published by Banner of Truth as just spiritual mindedness. And I recently read, actually like this past week, read a, an even... Uh, more condensed version by a guy named Chris Lungard called The Devoted Mind. So I'm going to get that in the bookstore soon. It's very, very helpful. And he just lists several practical ways that in this life now, in this Christian life, we, we can focus on Christ and therefore get the taste of the heavenly glory even here and now. And so I have several there. I probably won't go through all of these. Um, but let's, let's just start with number one, the devoted mind is formed by the Spirit. It's the grace and duty. It's the Spirit's work within us. So don't, don't leave from here thinking, all right, this is easy. All I need to do is turn off my cell phone for a few hours a day. All I need to do is these 16 steps and I'll get where I need to be. I've done that over and over again, and uh, I'm, I'm always, I don't know why, I'm always surprised when it doesn't work, just for me to say, okay, I'm going to form new habits, I'm going to do this. It takes grace, it takes the grace of God, it takes prayer, Lord, change, change my mind, change my heart. It's not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, it's, Lord, captivate me by your glory so that I don't want to be entertained by these lesser things. I don't want to be, I don't want to experience that pull toward checking my social media feed again. I want to be pulled toward thinking about you and your greatness. It's formed by the Spirit. Number two, the devoted mind seeks Christ in hard places. So sometimes circumstances in life, hard things, when we experience them, we can do one of two things. Actually, there's multiple things we could do, but one thing we could do is run to entertainment to distract us, to kind of escape from the difficulties of this life, or we can use that as a moment to come to God, set our attention on him, to trust in his providence, and to give our burdens to him. I think it was Adoniram Judson, who was a missionary, it could have been Hudson Taylor, I don't remember, it's one of those two missionaries talks about how 
the closest communion to God he's ever felt was um, at the top of a tree where there's cannibals around, where he was going to preach the gospel to these cannibals on an island, and they're all trying to kill him, literally, and he's up top of a tree hiding from him, like fearing for his life. And he writes about it later in his journal and says, I've never felt closer to the Lord. Why, why is that? Well, I think it's because when we experience hard things, we're reminded that this life is fragile, right? We're here for a moment. We're gone the next. So seek Christ when you're in hard places. Uh, number three, the devoted mind seeks Christ in dark places. When temptation to sin comes over us, um, it's a moment where we can just send little arrow prayers up to God, short prayers, Lord, help me, Lord, direct my mind toward you. That's part of how we set our attention on the Lord when we experience these temptations. It goes back to the Matthew 5 text, the blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For we shall see God. It's a promise that motivates it, not just don't do that. And this one is one of my favorites. The devoted mind seeks Christ in high places. Here we're talking about meditating on heaven. Part of the, part of the way that we begin to experience the joy of contemplating God in heaven is just by thinking about it here and now, taking, taking time out of our day to contemplate what will heaven be like. One, one uh, pastor, author who did this very well was Jonathan Edwards. He, he preached a series of sermons called Heaven is a World of Love. And basically what he did was really interesting. He took 1 Corinthians 13, you know that passage about love, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. And he basically said, in heaven, what heaven is, is this text lived out perfectly everywhere, right? Where, where we experience God's love, we love God, love for others. This, this 1 Corinthians 13 love is experienced in perfection. I want to read a quote by him. This is a longer quote, so you might want to follow along on your outline. This is him talking about Heaven, under the devoted mind, seeks Christ in high places. He says this, There dwells God the Father, who is the Father of mercies, and so the Father of love, who so loved the world as to give his only begotten Son to die for it. There dwells Christ, the Lamb of God, the Prince of peace and of love, who so loved the world that he shed his blood and poured out his soul unto death for men. There dwells the great mediator through whom all the divine love is expressed toward men and by whom the fruits of that love have been purchased and through whom they are communicated and through whom love is imparted to the hearts of all God's people. There dwells Christ in both his natures, the human and the divine, sitting on the same throne with the Father. And there dwells the Holy Spirit the spirit of divine love in whom the very essence of God, as it were, flows out and is breathed forth in love, and by whose immediate influence all holy love is shed abroad in the hearts of all the saints on earth and in heaven. There in heaven, this infinite fountain of love, this eternal three-in-one is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it as it flows forever. There, this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory and beams of love. And there, this glorious fountain forever flows forth in streams, 
yea, and rivers of love and delight. And these rivers swell, as it were, to an ocean of love in which the souls of the ransom may bathe with the sweetest enjoyment and their hearts, as it were, be deluged with love. Man, doesn't, that, doesn't that make you want to go to heaven, to, to experience, this, experience this love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? That's what we have to look forward to. And the more we can set our minds on that day, the more we'll be transformed and conformed to Christ this day. Let me just think about one more of these, and then I want to think about a problem that we face um, Let's see. Yeah, we'll do, number, we'll do number six. The devoted mind seeks Christ by contemplating the nature of God. Um, you know, one of the things that we're doing with Cornerstone U is trying to add um, some different tracks, some different styles of classes that we're going to do. And one we're involved in right now uh, that we're going to meet actually on Saturday, I'm excited about. It's called Deep Dives, where we read through books together and discuss them. And the one we're doing this time is called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And I, I, I love this. I love that we're doing this because the devoted mind yeah, wants to contemplate the nature of God. What is God like? Who is God? Who is God for me, for you? As you contemplate the nature of God, I think you just find that the anxieties of this world, the circumstances might not change but the, the anxieties we face, the burdens we face, tend to get a little bit lighter, don't they? They just seem less significant in comparison with the weight of God. To think about his omniscience, his, his limitless knowledge. There's no limits on God's knowledge. So when we're unsure about how things are going to play out, what's going to go on in our lives, God is not unsure. He's actually never had the experience of being unsure about something that, how something's going to pan out. Isn't that amazing? I feel like that's my life all the time. I'm, just, I'm not sure how this is going to go. Not sure how this is going to go. I'm going to try it, and we'll see. we'll see how it goes. God's not like that. He knows how everything is going to pan out. His omnipresence, his limitless presence, wherever you go, whatever you face, God is there with you. His omnipotence, his limitless power. The point is, as we contemplate these doctrines about God, it affects our souls, it changes us, it shapes us. We'll move on to the heading number three. So if one is a doctrine, seeing God in Christ is where we're headed. Number two is about seeking God, like making this decision, okay, I want to seek God here and now. The third point we make is seeking God among the spectacles. I'm not sure exactly what it says on your outline, but seeking God among the spectacles. So, okay, we're coming, we're flying high, flying high on the future hope, coming down to the Christian life, what decisions am I making? And then finally, we're getting down into the weeds a little bit of, okay, what, what, are, what are the problems we face and how should we think about it? Uh, with this, I have another book I want to recommend called Competing Spectacles by Tony Reinke. Has anyone read this book? This book is very, very helpful in uh, just getting at this idea. What I love about it is it talks about competing spectacles, treasuring Christ in the media age. That's, we, stole, we stole the subtitle. By the way, we mostly just steal titles from books and even content from books. And I think it's actually pretty helpful to do that. So competing spectacles, we have this in the bookstore. It's very helpful. 
what I like about it is that it frames the technology problem we face, not just as, oh, we shouldn't be on our phones so much, but as our minds and our hearts are drawn to spectacles. And he defines it as just the spectacles, anything that captures our attention for an extended amount of time. That's, that's what a spectacle is. So we're drawn to, he gives several examples, the spectacle of social media, right? Our attention just drawn into social media. And on social media, he talks about how one of the reasons why we're so drawn to it is that we get to be the spectator and the star at the same time. We're portraying ourselves in a certain way. He talks about the spectacle of gaming, video games, and how people love that because it gives you a sense of control in this little world, in this virtual world. And again, I'm not saying social media is sin or gaming sin. So if you're thinking, oop, that's me, that's me. I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm saying it's helpful to have this perspective. He talks about the spectacle of terror. I mean, have you noticed how when you watch the news, it's always bad news? Cable news is almost always bad. Bad from this angle, bad from this angle. Why, Why is that? It's because there's something in us that like if something bad happens, we're just drawn to it. We want to know. We watch, we pay to watch, I won't, I won't understand this. We pay to watch horror movies to be afraid. Does anyone like horror movies? Maybe, maybe I'm getting, I don't know. Anyway, uh, some, some people love horror movies. And I said, why do you like that? I don't know. I just like being scared. But it's a spectacle. We're drawn to it. The spectacle of merchandise, of purchasing things, just um, loving buying new clothes, new gadgets, Spectacle of television, entertainment. Uh, I was thinking about this and on the show, The Simpsons. You know, The Simpsons begins with, uh, in the kind of the prelude to the show, the whole family, they're, they're doing all their different activities, and then they all come together. And I don't know if you remember this, they all sit on the couch, and they're watching a TV screen. And it's supposed to make you laugh a little bit. Like, it's, it's comical because they're having family time, but they're really all just like totally zoned out looking at the screen in front of them. But I think it's actually ironic because how do we know about the Simpsons family right now? It's actually, we're doing the same thing, looking and watching this show, the spectacle of television. Spectacle is anything that captures our attention. The point of the book, though, and the thing that I, that I love is that and the thing about this class is that we're offered something better, something greater than the spectacles of this world. I want to conclude with um, thinking about a guy named Anselm. Anselm uh, was a bishop and a monk in the 11th century, uh, someone we don't hear about very often. Anselm, you know, and he has... What's interesting is kind of a side note, but as you study church history, a lot of times we'll kind of go from Acts of the Apostles, and then maybe somebody knows something a little bit about Augustine, and that's like the 4th century, and then like Martin Luther in the 1500s, we know something about him, and we just assume everything in between then is bad. It's like a thousand years of bad theology, bad this, bad that, and I think as Christians, we want to, again, this is a total side note, but we want to think, wow, Christ promises to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That must mean that for that 1,000-year period, there was good gospel work happening, right? There's a lot of error, lots of things as you go back and read that I'm grateful for the Reformation, obviously, but it's helpful to have that perspective of, wow, 
the Lord was still at work. Anselm, he, he was a theologian. He thought deeply about God. But what I love about it is that thinking, contemplating God led to deep devotion to God. That's kind of the whole point of this class is that the problem with technology is not primarily, oh, things, things weren't like they were when I was a kid, you know, or, or, oh, you know, employees can't focus on a task at work, something like that, which are all problems. But the issue is this keeps our minds and hearts disengaged from God. So I want to end with this quote from Anselm, kind of as an invitation to us today. He says this, this is in his proslogion. It's a, it's a Latin term that just means meditations. It says, come now, insignificant man. Leave behind for a time your preoccupations. Seclude yourself for a while from your disquieting thoughts. Turn aside now from heavy cares and set aside your wearisome tasks. Make time for God and rest a while in him. Enter into the inner chamber of your mind. And there he's just talking about closing out distractions. It's not some strange mystical experience. He's saying, shut out the distractions, the inner chamber of your mind. Shut out everything except for God and what is of aid to you in seeking him. After closing the chamber door, seek him out. Isn't that a good call to come away from our screens, from our shows, just for a little while? And that would be my encouragement to you is not Go and change every one of your habits and think about, rethink everything with technology. But find a little bit of time to do what Anselm says, to come away for a little bit. Come away from the screen for a little bit. Set your mind and heart on God who satisfies. Amen? Amen. Well, um, the next class, next week, we'll begin to think about some spiritual habits that help us do this. So if this is all kind of a theology of attention, you might say, and why, why we want to give our attention to the Lord and why we want to fight against distraction. Next week, we're going to talk about some spiritual habits, practical things we can do uh, to look up in a world that's looking down. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are glorious. Lord, you are uh, wonderful and your beauty captures us, and we want to be captured more by you and by your splendor. So I pray you do that today in our time of worship as we sing, as we hear your word. Capture us afresh with your glory, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.